a warning to any elderly female listeners we have this week. You're about to get horny AF because we are talking this week about Daniel O'Donnell on the 2000s Chart Show. The 2000s Chart Show. The 2000s Chart Show. Yes, indeed we are on the 2000s Chart Show, the podcast where every week we celebrate the UK Top 40 Singles Chart from 20 years ago. I am Samuel Spencer and alongside the OAP candy that is Daniel O'Donnell, we'll be talking about new entries from Gareth Gates, The Black Eyed Peas, Dido, D-Side, Muse and Delta Goodrum. So all the 2003 classics there. Another slightly slow week for the charts it's the last one it's really going to hot up after here next week there are 16 new entries and then it of course is the 2003 christmas number one race the last proper christmas number one race because as you may know in 2004 the x factor begins and then the christmas charts are dead basically and yet somehow in 2023 they're even more dead than when the x factor was around because now it's just old Christmas songs. I don't know if anyone follows the modern chart. In the top 20, only three non-Christmas songs and our current number one is from like 1983. So everything is awful, so let's retreat back into 2003 where everything is safe and everything is fine with, at number 40, Atomic Kitten with If You Come To Me. Maybe we can work it out Cause this is how girls there six weeks in the chart down from 31 by the end of the year they will release one more single their cover of cool and the gang's ladies night but for now we're saying goodbye to atomic kitten and goodbye to another classic british group of 2003 in its seventh week down from 35 guilty by blue If loving that song with all my heart's a crime, then I'm, I don't know, there's a hung jury, I guess. Our first new entry is at number 36, so let's quickly tell you that at number 38 we have Man of Steel by Meatloaf, that's in its second week down from 21, and at 37 down from 26 in its third week, meaning that this is the last ever week in which we will mention Mystique with Style. They have been so, so, so scandalous for the last time. A moment's silence for Mystique. Good, and now, <laughs> goodbye Mystique. 36, our first of 11 new entries this week. Is You by Nelly. 
Bailey did not have a good autumn 2003. Not only is his song here in the late 30s, but also in October, he was the victim of a robbery in Las Vegas. He was staying in the city for the Radio Music Awards and someone broke into his room and stole $1 million worth of jewellery. In the same story, it was also revealed that the singer Michelle Branch, the female singer-songwriter who wasn't Alanis Morissette of the time, got her laptop nicked. You'd be annoyed, I think, if they were splitting up who was going to steal what and one group gets a million pounds worth of jewellery and the other person gets Michelle Branch's back old MacBook. I'm sure they had some hard words back at the hideout. CNN reported on the Nelly robbery with a line that couldn't sum up 2003 more if it tried. So they say that the robbers stole ostentatious jewellery commonly referred to as bling bling which is a hallmark of rap music culture. In 2003 it seems that the phrase bling bling is so new that CNN felt the need to report it to its viewers which is quite cute. Michelle Branch was quite shaken by the experience. She said, I wasn't expecting to lose my money in Vegas. Um, I think that's pretty much what Vegas was invented for, babe, but sure. I didn't get hit nearly as bad as Nelly, but I do know that I will never feel safe in that hotel. The staff at the Aladdin could have handled things a lot differently. I won't be going back anytime soon. There's a joke there about three wishes or something, isn't there? I don't know. Make it for yourself. I can't do everything for you. Then the article ends by noting that it wasn't all a bust for Nelly. He did get a million dollars worth of jewellery stolen, but he did win the award of best driving song for his song Shake Your Tail Feather. So I'm sure that shoddy plastic award will more than make up for the chains that a group of robbers stole from him. People who are familiar with American daytime TV may recognise that the song Is You is built on a riff that is taken from the theme song to the TV show The People's Court. A Judge Judy style daytime show in which people go to the people's court to settle minor grievances. You know, I love the idea of someone doing that in Britain, just doing a freestyle rap over the This Morning theme. Go shawty, this shiver, eh? We gonna party like this shiver, eh? If you aren't aware of the people's court, and I wasn't, you may think, mm, that's that's a very weird theme tune for a daytime court show. But apparently, some people claim that the song was originally written for a porn film from 1977 called Barbara Broadcast which is why the song is called The Big One, brackets, People's Court theme. Again, insert your own jokes about long, hard gavels if you want. Now, I would love to have say I verified that The People's Court came from a porn film, but there are a lot of things that I will do for this podcast, but watching vintage straight porn is not one of them. I love these girls, and I'll do anything for them, but I won't do that hunt out a copy of Barbara Broadcast for yourself to verify. He is only at 36 here, Nelly, but he will go on to have three more UK number ones. He previously got to number one, of course, with Dilemma. That was in October 2002. And his three number ones will be My Place, Over and Over, and Nasty Girl, the posthumous Notorious B.I.G. single. You may be like, oh, they're his number ones. That's a weird list. What about Hot in Here? That only got to number four. Again, you can't trust the taste of the British people. Sam from the future here with breaking Naughty's news about Nelly. This came out after I recorded the episode. It's from Us Weekly. Ashanti is pregnant, expecting her first baby with boyfriend Nelly. I think a few weeks ago we talked about Nelly and Ashanti dating back in the day, but they have been back together. They're now going to have their first child. The source told Us Weekly, Nelly and Ashanti are welcoming their first baby together. I mean... It's kind of a useless source quote there, really. This is Ashanti's first child, whereas Nelly has a daughter who's 29 and a son who's 24, which means he will have a newborn and a 30-year-old child, which is pretty wild. 
The pair dated on and off from 2003 to 2013. Apparently they met at a Grammy Awards press conference and they sparked reconciliation rumours when they were seen holding hands in April 2023. So congratulations to Nelly and Ashanti. Is You by Nelly is the only new entry in the top 30, so let's quickly run through everything else in the 30s. At 35, Feeling This by Blink-182. Thirty-four, past that Dutch by Missy Elliott. Um, what's happening? Oh. Hypnotic in my drink. That's right. Shake it till it's thing. That's right. Just the moles on the beat. That's right. Put it down for the street. That's right. Thirty-three, I believe in a thing called love by the darkness. Thirty-two, it's my life by No Doubt. Thirty-one, Trouble by Pink. So you Interesting that Pink and No Doubt are together there because as we previously revealed, Pink has claimed that she and Gwen Stefani, the lead singer of No Doubt, were meant to be in the Madonna VMA's performance but decided to pull out. And at 30, a group that you could maybe list every single group in the entire world that Madonna asked to be in that VMAs and last in that list would be at number 30, Iron Maiden with Rainmaker. So that is your 30s and let's see what else is coming up on this week's show. Three major songs with a chance of getting to number one this week. To do that, they will have to be Leave Right Now by Will Young. That sold 100,000 copies last week, so that's a big number. It's going to be hard to overthrow him in the second week, but that isn't going to stop the Black Eyed Peas from trying. They are back with their song Shut Up, which is a song I often say to the Black Eyed Peas whenever someone plays any of their songs that they released after 2007. Of course, Where Is The Love by the Black Eyed Peas has only just dropped out of the top 40 this week after 16 weeks. It is at number 44. It was, of course, the biggest selling song of 2003, so they will be really hoping to match that kind of energy with their song Shut Up. A quiet classic, a fun song to do at karaoke. It has previously already had two weeks at 95 and 100 just on import sales alone which is a good sign that there's a lot of feeling for it. But will that be enough to get Will Young's Leave Right Now to, you guessed it, Leave Right Now? Well, that's very possible, but also aiming for that. Number one placement is Gareth Gates with Say It Isn't So. An interesting case, we see a lot of these in chart music of songs that should be rivals being released a week apart from each other. You can tell that they were originally supposed to be released perhaps on the same week, and then there was some music industry wrangling to get them to change. And so it is here, Gareth Gates versus Will Young has been averted because Will Young's song came out last week, and this week, Gareth Gates' Say It Isn't So is out. It's notable that they didn't want a chart battle because that may have cost Gareth Gates the chance to beat Will Young. Gareth Gates has four number ones at this point, and Leave Right Now by Will Young was Will's fourth number one matching Gareth's total, so Gareth will be desperate for his song to be his fifth number one, allowing him to pull ahead of the man who beat him at Pop Idol. 
So far, all of Gareth Gates' singles have been in the top five, with four out of six of them getting it to number one. His first three singles, Unchained Melody, Any One of Us, Stupid Mistake, and The Long and Winding Road, all got to number one. What My Heart Wants to Say in December 2002 got to number five, and Spirit in the Sky, one of 2003's biggest releases, got to number one in March. His last song got to number three, but he may still have what it takes to get back in that top spot. And he won't have many more opportunities to do so. So he'll really be hoping for that final number one. But let's not count out Dido. The song White Flag got to number two. It's from the biggest selling album of 2003. This may suggest that there is literally no one left on earth that hasn't bought it. But will that affect the sales of her second single from that album, Life for Rent? Well, we will find out as we head into the top 10. But for now, let's head into the 20s with at 29 in its third week down from 16, Enrique Iglesias with Addicted. why Enrique Iglesias was writing a song called Addicted we will never know he announced in February 2014 that he has never dabbled in drugs never been tempted to try an illegal substance despite being surrounded by people in the industry that regularly snort cocaine this is from the Evening Standard by the way he said I was never tempted by drugs the amount of times I've been asked you don't do coke but you're in music you really don't do coke I don't like sticking stuff up my nose get me a drink get me a rum I drink I'm a social drinker but I feel like I can control it. Also, in this article, for some reason, he starts criticising Justin Bieber. He told the Daily Mirror, It's common in this business that there are just yes, yes people, and you need people who are not afraid of telling you no. You need to be told you made a mistake. That's crucial. Which is interesting, because the album that Addicted was on was, of course, all featured songs that were either written or co-written by Ricky Iglesias. And maybe he needed a few more no-no people around him to be like, maybe you need to hire actual songwriters. Just a thought. 28 now, up from 36. It swung low, and now it's swinging back up the chart. UB40 and United Colors of Sound with Swing Low. dropped out of the chart in its third week going from 23 to 32 to 44 and is now on its way back up week 4 37 week 5 that was last week 36 and now at 28 still three weeks away from its highest charting position looking back at that 20 years in the future you can't have a wonder who the hell are these people who buy these like football singles like obviously it's fun to celebrate when your team wins but who's like six months later being like oh oh i'm do you know what i'm gonna do i'm just gonna pour myself a cup of tea and listen to that rugby union song that rugby union slave song that we've co-opted and just think of johnny wilkinson's thighs oh no now i understand why they do it okay on the subject of songs that you literally can't understand why anyone would want to listen to them at 27 in its second week, down from 18, Behind the Blue Eyes by Limp Biscuit. My love is vengeance. 
last week but that is the last ever UK Top 40 by Limp Biscuit. so we are free from Fred Durst forever unless he has an impromptu comeback we'll wait to see what's on the new Dua Lipa album we know she loves the noughties so worse things have happened but you will be pleased to know I have done my due diligence and research before we said goodbye to Fred Durst and I can indeed verify from doing a quick Google Images search that his eyes are indeed blue though not as psychotically photoshopped blue as they are in the cover of Behind Blue Eyes by Limp Biscuit. 26 now, moving away from a Limp Biscuit to a, I don't know, a firm, what's the opposite of a biscuit? Bread? <laughs> sure, a firm bread. Kylie Minogue with slow. Spun me 180 degrees, so electric. Slow down and dance with me. Yeah. Slow. Skip a beat and move in my body Yeah Slow Come on and dance with me Yeah That of course, a former UK number one in its fifth week on the chart Haven't watched an audience with Kylie Minogue yet I've seen her live four times and I've found that she does pretty much the same thing every time So a little bit sick of that That's kind of a controversial thing to say from a pop gay, but if only Kylie had some of the willingness to take risks on her set lists that Madonna does, we would be in a better place, is just my opinion. Also, if I never hear the song The Locomotion again, it will be too soon. Although I should just state for the record that I love Kylie, and it is in loving her that I just want her to be a little bit more adventurous. I'm an impossible princess gay. I don't know what to tell you. Both in that my favourite Kylie album is Impossible Princess and in many ways I am an impossible princess. You know, I don't know what it is that makes me feel like this. I don't know who I am but I must be some kind of impossible princess. Which leads us totally seamlessly to number 25. Everything I just said but then the word superstar. Superstar by Jamelia. That's in its 12th week down from 22 doing amazingly well. song that's really stood the test of time even the band that the music industry spent the entirety of 2023 trying to make happen unsuccessfully flow we're doing jamelia superstar live i don't know why i've got so many hot takes on pop stars today christmas is tight it's hard on all of us okay anyway that is doing very well at 25 unlike the flop follow-up to a number one single from blue cantrell with make me want to scream at 24 because Make Me Wanna Scream is how I felt watching five weeks of Top of the Pops in which Blue Cantrell 
was at number one but didn't perform it on Top of the Pops. And then she was literally on Top of the Pops being interviewed and yet didn't sing. The whole time it made me want to scream. This song had a viral moment of fame a few months ago with people claiming that in the video for Make Me Wanna Scream by Blue Cantrell, there's a moment in which Blue Cantrell and her friends paint the word pig onto a car and there's a man who notices it and people were claiming online that that was in fact Simon Webb from Blue, which basically was the whole of the internet showing itself its racist ass because it was just a different black guy. Specifically, Blue Cantrell's then-boyfriend, Tony De Niro. No relation, presumably, to Robert De Niro. Although I'm going to check that. No, it is not because it's actually spelt differently. So we'll move on from the casual racism of the internet and just point out that Make Me Wanna Scream is co-written by Candy Burris, who, now look, I have to say, I'm not a real housewives person, so that means absolutely nothing to me, but I'm sure that the name Candy Burris has got some gay out there excited, and we salute you. She's in Atlanta, yes? I'm an independent woman, doing it for myself. Look, I have to find facts about top 40s from 2003, finding obscure interviews that are like archived like deep into the web. I don't have time for The Real Housewives. They seem, it seems like a lot that I would get very addicted to very quickly. So what I can tell you about Candy Burris, I don't know what she's like on Real Housewives, whether she's a hero or she's a villain, but she's certainly a hero of pop music songwriters because among her credits are songs like Bills, Bills, Bills by Destiny's Child and No Scrubs by TLC. She also herself had a number nine hit in the year 2000 with the song Don't Think I'm Not. A song that I knew was by Candy, but I'd never put together that it's the same Candy that was in Real Housewives and also won the Masked Singer in the US. That song makes Candy a genuine UK one-hit wonder with literally only one song in the top 100. Unlike Blue Cantrell, which we may consider a one-hit wonder, but actually had three hits, including this one. Her first song, Hit Em Up Style, a US number one that only got to number 12 in November 2001. Then, of course, four weeks at number one with Breathe in August. And now here she is at 24 her last ever hit on the UK Top 40, although the fact that it's at 24, exactly how much of a hit it is, is debatable. Seeing as this might be the last time we're ever talking about Blue Cantrell, it's worth mentioning again that what happened to her after this song was faintly hilarious. In 2004, she left her contract with Arista Records, but simply because the record label just forgot to renew it, so it just lapsed. But some intern was uh, punished a little bit for that. They had to make it look like you know, they were getting punished, but really they were like, thank God we got Blue Cantrell off our books. After that, she did a number of interviews in which she criticised the record label, claiming that they had not given her money that she was owed. She told the You Know I, I Got Soul podcast that she was really taken advantage of. Must point out for legal reasons that that is only her claim, but certainly she would not be the first person who had been exploited by the music industry. And now, let her exploit your eardrums because to get you in more of the festive spirit, if that weird Dizzy Rascal Nutcracker song didn't do it, here is Blue Cantrell's attempt at Christmas music. Welcome, question mark? Ho, ho, and indeed ho, leading us into a band that sadly never had a Christmas song. I'd love to hear their stories of bumming a woman in a truck, but at Christmas, here it is at 23, in its fifth week down from 19, Flip Reverse by Blazing Squad. I 
And he really could not have more of a sea change from number 23 to number 22. At 23, Blazing Squad CDO'd to anal sex with a woman in a heavy goods vehicle. And at 22, get ready, women of a certain age who are listening. Make sure you've got those non-slip coatings on your chairs because we are about to talk about Daniel O'Donnell at 22 with one of the ultimate songs for mums and, by extension, grandmums, You Raise Me Up. You raise me up so I can stand on mountains You raise me up to walk on stormy seas I am strong when I am on your shoulders You raise me up You can imagine a Blazing Squad song, by the way, Could You Raise Me Up, but it would just obviously be about an erection. This, to my knowledge, is not about an erection. It is, of course, about having such love for a person that it elevates you and makes you feel a better person. It's also vaguely Christian. doesn't help that the Daniel O'Donnell version, very prominent crucifix in the background. This, of course, everyone knows this song. Endless cover versions of it. Every male singer-songwriter of a certain level of blandness almost legally had to record it. And so you might be surprised to know this is the first ever chart entry of You Raise Me Up. And it's actually only been in the UK Top 40 twice. This is the first time... And the second time will be in November 2005 when Westlife get it to number one, giving them their second to last number one, their 13th number one. Despite the fact it's only been in the UK Top 40 twice, however, it has been covered by literally everyone as this beautifully produced audio package is going to demonstrate. You raise me up So I can't stand on mountains You raise me It should be noted that although it did get into the UK Top 40 twice, it did also get into the Top 100 another two times. In 2007, Josh Groban's version got to number 74. And then in December 2003, we will not be talking about it because the Brian Kennedy version gets to the lofty heights of number 91. Got pipped at the post there by Daniel O'Donnell, didn't you? As the iconic film Toy Story 2 would put it. Loudly cry, Brian. Daniel O'Donnell, of course, an Irish middle-of-the-road singer of legendary status. In case you wonder why we're making all these references to older women, this line in his Wikipedia sums it up. O'Donnell is frequently satirised in Irish and British comedy because of a common supposition that his audience consists mainly of older women. The thing is, we can he can be the... F- a figure of satire, but he is laughing all the way to the bank. He really does have, I guess, a pretty nice life. He just, every year, he just releases another album of sappy ballads for grandmothers. And every year, the crazy thing about it is, even now, 20 years on, it works. Because Daniel O'Donnell holds a chart record, which is unbelievable. So he is the only artist to have had a top 40 album every year for, get ready for this, 32 years. And that's not just 32 albums, by the way. In that time, he has released 
43 albums, all of which have gone into the top 40. That's a 33-year record. This was first reported on on the official charts website, one of my favourite websites, although I have to say, the update they did to make it work better on mobiles has... The only thing it's done is made it absolutely fucking not work on mobiles. So you're, all of the writers are there. Legends, your UX team need to get sorted out. Anyway... They reported on it in 2021, and even since then, they've actually he's actually extended that record by two years. In November 2022, his album I Wish You Well got to number 16, and in November 2023, his album How Lucky I Must Be got to number 39. So that's a tight one there, just eking out that record. That does suggest that maybe 2023 will be the end of that record. But still, you can't really see anyone being able to beat that, unless Taylor Swift, you know, starts doing Taylor's versions of Taylor's versions, and then it just kind of keeps going like Infinite Turtles, then Daniel O'Donnell will forever hold that chart record, despite seemingly no one under the age of 75 still listening to Daniel O'Donnell. If you think, though, he is totally dull and sappy, he was briefly a controversial figure because in 1994, he had to cancel a series of concerts in Northern Ireland because of death threats from loyalist paramilitaries. I'm going to be very careful what I say here due to having not the fullest of knowledge about the Irish Troubles, but the Catholic Daniel O'Donnell being threatened there by the mostly Protestant UK loyalists, which means that we could be getting an exciting Daniel O'Donnell biopic at any moment. I'm sure Channing Tatum is getting his finest cardigans out of his wardrobe, ready to play his ultimate role. So Daniel O'Donnell may be raising us up at number 22, but our next few entries are all moving down at 21 down from five in its second week. That's a 16-place drop for Michael Jackson, although he may have been too embedded in legal battles to give it much thought. At 20, Britney Spears featuring Madonna's Me Against the Music. This week in 2023, it was reported that Britney Spears may be hard at work on new music, although it hasn't been reported yet whether it's actually Britney working on it or whatever AI chatbot they got to do Mind Your Business. Either way, very excited for new Britney music if she feels ready and able to make it and not just because she's being pressured due to the success of her book which I'm really holding off from buying because I just know for a fact that some one of my family members is going to be like, oh, I don't know, he's gay, get him the Britney book. So that may be a 2024, we can really delve into that. Luckily, she has many more hits to come, so we'll have plenty of time. At 19, meanwhile, 50-50 by Lamar. You see you got nothing else to hide How come she told me She saw somebody by your side Been a long time, you say you miss me What gets round, you shouldn't yeah, yeah, yeah. Step back of course his song about the iconic bbc one children's show game show lamar a big fan of the avalanche was originally going to be a duet with flynn the announcer from 50 50 but unfortunately scheduling conflicts prevented that good what other podcast giving you 50 50 jokes anyone under the age of 27 vigorously googling what 50 50 was at this point and while you do that let's talk about our new entry at 18, Delta Goodrum with Not Me, Not I. Between 
she would say it in her Australian accent. Okay, get ready for this. Not me, not no, not I. Was that good? I bet it was. I'll listen back to it. Not me, not I, mate. Yeah, it does sound better in an Australian accent rather than not me, not I. Not Me, Not I has the distinction of being co-written by Gary Barlow. As a songwriter, Gary Barlow has had 12 UK number ones. He wrote 10 of Take That's number one singles. And he had two UK number ones of his own with Forever Love and Sing, the Military Wise Choir or Gareth Malone or some some bollocks choir. At... <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm coming for the Military Wives Choir now. I'm off the leash. This song only at number 18 on the UK charts, but it gave Delta Goodrum her fourth Australian number one, allowing her to break a chart record of being the person to have the most Australian number ones from one album. Born to Try, Innocent Eyes, this one and the other one. What the hell was that called? Lost Without You, that's it. All getting to number one. By the way, she in doing that, she broke Kylie Minogue's record. She had three number ones from her first album in Australia. The Locomotion, I Should Be So Lucky, and Got To Be Certain. Not Me, Not I is the song that allowed her to break that record and is a love song which talks about the pain of losing first love, of course. Some have speculated that the person she's singing about is her ex-boyfriend, someone who starred in Neighbours alongside her, Blair McDonough. When she was a judge on The Australian Voice, she talked about this with Jesse J. When I was like 17 years old, 17 years old, and I was in the studio with Cara Diaguardi. I'd stumbled these piano ideas with Cara, and um, my boyfriend at the time wasn't returning my phone call. He was somewhere, and it was like a Saturday, and then I went to bed that night, and I couldn't get a hold of him. Then in the morning, I woke up to a missed call, and so I was like, oh, goody, you know, he called. And I was like, hey, and it was a voicemail for some other girl saying, come and meet me. And then I was like, I went to the studio, and I was like, oh my God, this is what happened. And then Cara was like, we're going to write number ones out of this. Da, 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 da. And then, sure enough, we wrote two number ones out of it. And in fact, Jessie J was so shocked when she heard this that all she could say was, no, 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 Jessie J and Delta Goodrum seemed to be all friends there on The Voice Australia, but it wasn't always that way. There was a lot of rumours at the time that the pair were feuding. Of course, all reality TV shows thrive on saying that their female judges are feuding. It's a kind of sexist way of creating intrigue around these shows, but it does seem that the pair didn't always get on. Jessie J, forever honest, (laughs) Jessie J in an interview said, We're not the best of friends, but we don't hate each other. And that's the truth. It is what it is, but there's a mutual respect there. So basically what she's saying is, if you ask her whether she has a future Delta Goodrum, what she will say is, no, 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 no. Of course, because this was Delta Goodrum's Christmas single, it included, as its bonus tracks, two classic Christmas covers. Have Yourself a Merry Little Christmas, of course, originally done by Judy Garland, and Happy Xmas, War Is Over, the John Lennon and Yoko Ono Christmas classic, which features the problematic line, and so happy Christmas for black and for white, for yellow and red ones. Some artists choose to remove this line. Let's find out whether Delta Goodrum did. Sometimes I put the audio clips in at the end, by the way. So at this point, I don't know whether she did or not. So either congratulations, Delta Goodrum, or boo, Delta Goodrum. Delete as appropriate. But either way, Delta Goodrum is there at number 18, behind another new entry, Early Learning Centre Radiohead themselves, Muse with Hysteria. Yeah. 
2012, Enemy readers voted Hysteria the best Muse song of all time. It's a bit like having your favourite member of Al-Qaeda, but fine. This song is the classic tale of a man wanting a woman so much that it drives him mad. And it definitely drove the writer of the Muse wiki a bit mad. I mean, the specific wiki for the songs of Muse. Because the entry for Hysteria follows the usual routine for these things. It starts with the description of the song. Then it goes on to the information section. Talks about various live versions there were. Gives some trivia. And then it just has a section which explains what hysteria is. So according to the Muse Wikipedia, it says, Hysteria was originally a now-defunct psychoanalytical diagnosis, particularly afflicted to females akin to sexual frustration. The treatment consisted of a massage of the genitals leading to hysterical paroxysm, that's definitely going in the episode title, or what is now known as the female orgasm. Of course, this is ironic because no one who's ever listened to Muse has ever given a woman an orgasm. Sorry for listening, Muse fans. What can I say? I'm off the leash. I've had four snowballs. No, I haven't. It's actually like quarter to four in the afternoon. There's no excuse. This is at number 17, but Muse's last UK Top 40 was at the time their first Top 10, a spot they would not return to until June 2006, when they will release their biggest ever song, Supermassive Black Hole. Of course, every vampire's favourite song to play baseball to. But certainly this song, not able to reach the dizzy heights of the top 10 in a week that, let's be honest, is a bit of a dumping ground before Big Christmas. Muse, one of the least Christmassy bands of all time, though, so quite why they're releasing a song in December. I don't know. I guess they could do a song about robot Santas in invading the world or some shit like that. That's what all their songs are about now, anyway. The next four songs now. See if you can... Sp- you can... <laughs> No, it's the odd one out. So we have, at 16, a former number one in seventh week on the chart, Be Faithful by Fat Man Scoop. Be quiet, all the chicken heads. Be quiet, all the chicken heads. Be quiet. Yeah, baby, Fat Man Scoop. Be seven, sing along, come on. At 14, Clap Back by Ja Rule. Sit them up in the mind, axing them home in the throwback. West, 44 Lakers, let's make no mistakes when these eps take place. What's the procedure with a gun in your face when you got one in your waist? Let's cop. 13, Outcast Hey Ya. And then, nestled in between them at 15, Maybe That's What It Takes by Alex Parks. ago we found an interview with Alex Parks in which she didn't know who Blazing Squad were so what is the betting that she had absolutely no idea who Fat Man Scoop was and honestly you have to be jealous of her a bit don't you another fun fact about Alex Parks of course she featured in season two of Fame Academy ending up as the winner but basically the whole time was basically like why the hell am I on a show called Fame Academy I have no interest in being famous I've since learnt that actually she didn't even apply to Fame Academy herself. Apparently her dad did it for her. So she didn't even want to go on Fame Academy enough to put in an application and yet ended up winning it. She was really 20 years ahead of the Idgaf Wars there. She is kind of my hero though for the amount of time she just slagged off everyone who like big business people she met. She at this time was saying that she was annoyed with the BBC because they thought they owned her because they'd given her a nice car and a flat. And when she was dropped from her record label, she released a statement that was basically blamed the record label for not giving a shit about her. When she was dropped from her record label in 2006, she wrote on her website, Hi everyone, just wanted to let you all know that I'm no longer signed to Polydor as of now. 
It wasn't really working for me or for them, as you could probably tell. Although I am sad, and there are a lot of good people there who really did their best for me, and I will miss them, it's definitely time to move on. A lot of you have asked if I'm disappointed with the way my record releases have gone, and of course I am. I've had almost no support from the media, hardly any coverage on radio and TV or in the press, and whether that's because they don't like my music or they don't like me, or maybe because I came from a reality TV programme, I don't know. But of course we will get to talk about Alex Parks' leaving the music industry in the future because she will have two more UK top 40s, although maybe that's what it takes, remains her only UK top 10, unfortunately. Unlike a band who were no stranger to the top 10, although they are at 12 this week, in its fourth week, down from eight, Crash the Wedding by Busted. say it's very weird how busted have just basically now are a mainstream band again it's the same thing that happened to the jonas brothers it's just like male bands can just you know they can do a reunion and then just everyone just instantly takes them seriously again like haven't we take that and now like the jingle bell ball it was all these like 20 year olds like it was you know tate mccray rita aura all those kind of people and then busted you know i hope if girls allowed could be could get the same treatment by everyone that would be great and they could just be a band that existed again rather than just people who do one tour and then don't get together again until the 25th anniversary you know it's really in many ways the curse of being a gay pop fan is that we have the most interest of all people in the format and yet really we have absolutely no impact on anything because we're too small a group Whereas if straight women like you, you can have a career that lasts for decades. Where's Javine? You know, we couldn't save her. But enough of my rant about busted and marginalised pop fans. We need to talk about number 11, Kevin Little with Turn Me On. Doing amazingly well. week out of the top 10 and it's been the chart for eight weeks although he a classic a classic of the form it's happened to lumidy and it happened and wayne wonder already this week this year and in fact it's happened to blue cantrell on this very podcast they have one huge hit and then the second song is a flop and we never hear from them again may 2004 will be kevin little's second and at this point only uk top 40 single so keep listening for that but now we're in the top 10 and it's a top 10 with six new entries the only songs coming back from last week are Jump by Girls Aloud, I'm Your Man by Shane Ritchie, Mandy by Westlife, and last week's number one, Leave Right Now by Will Young. And they will be joined by new entries from D-Side, Dido, Gareth Gates, Black Eyed Peas, and Simply Red. Quite the lineup. They will also be joined by, at number 10, a new entry and the debut single for Katie Melua with The Closest Thing to Crazy. How can I have got in so deep? Why did I fall in love with you? This is the closest thing to crazy I have ever been. Twenty-two, acting 
It's just a tiny moment in this song, but I have to say, I love doing the bit where she's like, feeling 22, acting 17. Just that. Yeah, Katie Melua, another artist who will sell millions of records in the mid-2000s without really making any dent in the popular culture. It's just this kind of post-Dido world in which these kind of semi-ethereal female singer-songwriters are launched on the public trying to become the second Dido. We have Katie Melua here. In a few years, we'll have Jem. That'll make sense if you don't know who Jem is in a few years' time. We have people like Rumour, Nora Jones, of course, the other side of the pond, all in that Dido zone. But there are two things that I instantly think of when I think of Katie Melua. And here's the first. Do something with Katie Melua. There we go. <laughs> I'd rather have cat aids, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, Amy Winehouse did not have many kind words to say about Katie Melua. I think in other interviews, she called her shit, which is very funny. You think it's just Amy Winehouse, like, calling out artists that she was being... Talking about the next Dido's, by the way, you could see when Amy Winehouse first came out that people, like, tried to put her in that box and her just thinking, hmm, no, I have a bit more kind of grit to me than your Dido's and your Katie Melua's. So you might just think it's her just, like, slagging off Katie Melua without knowing her. But the thing is... She must have known each other because they were at the Brit school together. So this is like long-standing resentment from the Brit school days. I think it's very funny to think of like those two and Adele all at the Brit school at once. You know, definitely Katie Melly was sitting at the front of her class with her carefully organised notes and Amy Winehouse is putting her lippy on in the back of the classroom. Don't really know. Do they in the Brit school, do they actually have like, do they learn like maths and English? Are they in, do they have desks? Don't know. Someone let me know. The2000shutter.gmail.com And the second, so that's the first thing I think of when I think of Katie Melua. And the second thing, of course, is the fact that at around this time, she was dating Luke from the Kooks, a man that I know for having weirdly exactly the same hairstyle as Katie Melua. They obviously, you know, bought their tresemme in bulk. Their breakup would uh, would be the inspiration for most of the songs on the Kooks' first album, Inside In, Inside Out, including the song Ooh La, which apparently, and I, I mean, even if it's not true, it makes sense. The original lyric was actually just Melua instead of Ula. The Amy Winehouse clip we played at the beginning, by the way, that's from Nevermind the Buzzcocks. And we also have to mention here Simon Amstel's car crash interview with the Kooks in which he brings up Katie Melua. Your first single <coughs> was called Eddie's Gun. Mm-hmm. And this was about uh, Luke, you not being able to perform romantically speaking. Let's, you know, I don't like to skirt around issues. Let's, the medical term yeah. is... <coughs> <laughs> um, this problem occurred with a, a girlfriend. Oh, here we go. What, what? I, nothing. I, you know. I've got it on my notes. This girlfriend was a, a Katie Melua. Katie Melua. The, the popular singer. Yes. Yeah, okay. That, she, she's my ex-girlfriend. Ex-girlfriend. Uh, do you feel at all emotionally scarred by what happened with her, the, the whole experience? What happened? What? First of all, the medical issue, and then the split. Um, <laughs> we well, see that's, you know, I think that's getting a bit uh, personal, really. No, I, Katie and I, you know, uh, you know. Yeah, the first two things I think of when I think of Katie Melua, also worth pointing out that the reason that she became famous is because she became the protégé of a man called Mike Batt, who discovered her at the Brit School. Actually, I'm just looking at an article about Mike Batt discovering her, and it says the Brit School's in Croydon? I didn't know that. That's depressing that they're like, you know, the centre, basically, of the young music industry is in Croydon. In case you're wondering who Mike Batt is, by the way, he 
was the man who his most famous song and his biggest hit was We Wish You a Wombling Merry Christmas by the Wombles. That song got to number two in December 1974. He also wrote the song Bright Eyes, the Watership Down soundtrack song for Art Garfunkel. That was actually a number one hit. But since then, he basically worked in this realm of like kind of easy listening versions of genres like classical and jazz and folk. So obviously Katie Melua, kind of light jazzy folky, but not in a way that's like challenging in any way. Perfect for mums, perfect for dinner parties, perfect for cars. He also was behind Vanessa May, the violinist, who again sold millions of records with her kind of very accessible version of classical. Not only that, he had huge success in this realm because he also was behind Bond, which I don't know if anyone, I think you really have to be a specific age to remember Bond, but they were basically, the idea was, what if a string quartet, but all bodacious babes? Kind of, I guess, the cause without the singing. So he made a fortune from all of those and then thought, hmm, now I need to get in on this Dido sphere. And so Katie Mellewa was born and it was a success. The f- Call Off the Search, the album that included the closest thing to Crazy, ended up as the fifth best-selling album of 2004, selling 1.4 million copies. And her second album, Call Off the Search, would be equally successful with 1.2 million copies sold. That, of course, would include the iconic single, Nine Million Bicycles, everyone's favourite song about the incorrect number of bicycles there are in Beijing. The reason why these albums were hugely successful, I think, is because they were they targeted their advertising perfectly. I was 10 in 2003, and every morning as we were getting ready for school, with my mum, we would watch GMTV, and the adverts for Call Off the Search by Katie Melly were, were all over the ad breaks on GMTV. They clearly knew their target market of frazzled mums who just want relaxing music to play in the car while getting their brats to school. And they went for it. And it worked because my mum bought that album. And in fact, it would keep going for a few years because Katie Melua will actually ends up having a number one single. In 2007, she did a single for the Red Cross a cover of the Louis Armstrong song, What a Wonderful World, which was a duet with Eva Cassidy, another person who was flouted in that next Dido space, even though she was literally dead at the time. That went to number one in December 2007 and was one of the few singles that I actually ever saw my nan actively buy. So that kind of shows you the market for that. And of course, if you're that kind of artist, the kind of artist that would do a duet with Eva Cassidy. Of course, you have to have a Christmas song with the Gory Women's Choir, and that's Gory, G-O-R-I. It's not like a women's choir with like their eyeballs falling out covered in gunge. This is a song that I'm told is a Christmas song called The Little Swallow. <laughs> All of which to say is that Katie Melua seems like a nice, well-adjusted girl. And I imagine that the closest thing to actual crazy that she's ever been is probably like, she said she was going to have one biscuit, but she ended up having two, you know? So Katie Melua at number 10 and at number 9, very exciting, it's another flop boy band. We need some sort of ident for flop boy bands. I'm kind of thinking it's the song flying without wings, like really slow, and then just the phrase flop boy band alert. Let's see what that sounds like. Flop boy band alert. Flop boy band alert. At this point, I haven't made that yet, so either it's a, fl- a success or it never gets played again. Can't wait to find out which. This flop boy band has had two top 10 hits at this point. Their first song, Speechless, was a number nine hit in April 2003. Their Stalker's Anthem, Invisible, was number seven in July 2003. And now, here they are with Real World. This is D-Side. 
B-side, of course, the Irish boy band that isn't Boyzone and isn't Westlife. Dane, Derek, Shane, Damien, and Derek. Ridiculous of them that they have four names beginning with D, and then one guy whose name begins with S. Also ridiculous, I think we said this last time, that they have two different members called Damien and two different members called Derek, and then just a guy called Shane. Doesn't speak well to the variety of names that were going around for men in Ireland at the time. And talking of doesn't speak well, last time we talked about D-Side on this podcast, we had the incredible clip of Richard Parks from Fame Academy slagging them off right in front of their faces. And this time... Unfortunately, Simon Cow is doing the same. In, in Smash Hits magazine, Simon Cow this week, 20 years ago, was asked to what he thought about the hot bands of the time. He gave D-Side a 1 out of 5 star in star quality, saying they're dull, boring and lacklustre, and then the equivalent of musical wallpaper. They have absolutely no identity at all. We'll say it's a little rich for a guy who made his first load of huge money with Robson and Jerome, and then was responsible for the career of Ben Hay now. But then ultimately, I guess, the things that we hate in others are the things that we ultimately hate in ourselves. But certainly Dane from D-Side was not going to let Simon Cow's comments get him down because he was dating a glamour model icon of 2003 at this point. This is from Smash Hits again. The story says, Dane D-Side has pulled a page three stunner. They've put stunner in inverted commas there. A little rude. He says, we started chatting at a party. I think my Irish accent worked a charm. Afterwards, we went to a club and then to her flat for the night. All right, it's a little bit uh, scandalous for a magazine aimed at children. She's really sweet, but I'm not ready to settle down just yet. Now, you can't see this picture, but I can reveal that that glamour model is none other than the legend that is Jodie Marsh. She of wearing two belts and calling it a top. Jodie Marsh having quite the time with boy bands in 2003 because as well as dating Dane from D-Side, she also dated Kian from Westlife in 2003. And if that wasn't enough, she also dated a man called Fran Cosgrove. Some of you may remember him from the original version of Love Island, the celebrity version from the mid-2000s. But one fact about Fran Cosgrove that's interesting is that he once worked as Westlife's bodyguard. And I have to say, I have no evidence that... He was working as Westlife's bodyguard in 2003, or whether it was earlier or later. But I love the idea that Jodie Marsh was dating Kian, but then the whole time giving the eyes to his bodyguard. And then, you know, if she left Kian for the bodyguard, it's not like Kian could start something with the bodyguard because he's probably twice his size and could, you know, either just throw him out of a window, throw him up against the wall, or just, you know, let a load of hormonal 16-year-old girls at him. Either way, he holds all the power, and that's why he was able to potentially take Jodie Marsh away from Kian. That wasn't all of the drama, however, happening in Camp D-Side in 2003. They were very much the Nelly of in- of Ireland in one specific way only. This is another story from, this is from Top of the Pops magazine. Derek and Dane D-Side got a nasty shock recently. Poor Derek was tucked up in bed when he heard whispers outside his bedroom and people rattling on the windows. After quickly texting Dane on his mobile, the pair of them scared off a group of burly burglars. I wonder how much of D-Side's, quote, bling bling they were able to they've had their eyes on. Although the fact that D-Side can only get to number nine here suggests that those burglars may not have had much that they could have taken with them. And certainly things aren't going to get any better for any potential robbers of D-Side's house because this will be their last ever top 10. They will have just one more UK top 40 which will miss out on the top 20. And then that is the end of another flop boy band gone to join Triple Eight and One True Voice in the Sky. And how fitting in the way that these charts work 
that at number eight, we go from a band that are about to leave the chart to one of the most successful women of the 2000s. Here at number eight with Life for Rent, here is Dido. To travel the world alone and live more simply I have no idea what's happened to that dream Cause there's really nothing left here to stop me It's just a thought, only a thought There's my I just say that this is the song Dido by the band Life for Rent? Not sure. If I did, it is the song Life for Rent by the woman herself, Florian Cloud de Bunavale O'Malley Armstrong, best known by her stage name Dido. Apparently Dido, a childhood nickname for, for Dido, even though her real name is Florian, hilariously. In a 2001 interview she said, to be called one thing and christened another is actually very confusing and annoying. It's one of the most irritating things that my parents did to me. Florian is a German man's name. It's just mean to give your whole child a whole lot of odd names. They're all so embarrassing. I thought it was cruel to call me Dido and then expect me just to deal with it. I love the idea that they called her Florian and then they were like, oh no, that might be a bit much for the children in school. Let's give her a nickname. Oh, I know, Dido. No one will ever make fun of how much that sounds like dildo. Absolutely not. Honestly, if I was called Florian and then everyone used the nickname Dido for me, there would be a white flag above my door. But luckily, Dido persisted and ended up releasing two of the biggest albums of the 2000s, although she was never able to match their success on the singles chart. Her first album, No Angel, spent 147 weeks on the chart and peaking at number one. And this album, Life for Rent, also peaked at number one and spent 63 weeks on the chart and yet she only has a number one single as a technicality because she of course is sampled on the song Stan by Eminem although she wasn't credited at the time. Her biggest single was actually her last single before Life for Rent, White Flag which got to number two in September 2003 when we talked about it and when we also learned that Dido has a much more cockney voice than you may imagine and so here is what she said about writing the song Life for Rent. All right me old China, I wrote Life for Rent in America! She said, I'd basically run away from England, apples and pears, out your father. For, at that point, for various reasons, I was being chased around a lot by the press. And also, I just ended this, ended this relationship and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I do with that. And wrote pretty much the whole album while I was in America. The song was one of the first songs I wrote there, and it still resonates with me. There's a line in there that says, I want to live by the sea. Well, I still do, and I still don't. Then asked to furthermore, to, uh, to explain a little bit more about what the song Life for Rent is about. She said... And I won't do the Cockney accent again. The meaning of life for rent is that the, my life isn't really my own. I only rented it for a while. But if I don't manage to buy it, to own it, then nothing of what I think is mine is really mine. You may think, oh yeah, that's a good description of what this song is about. But what it actually is, is her just saying the lyrics again. Because the lyrics are, If my life is for rent and I don't learn to buy, Well, I deserve nothing more than I get. Because nothing I have is truly mine. Bella asking, so what is the song Agadoo about? And being like, well, it's about the act of pushing the pineapple and shaking the tree. Yeah, of course I know. I heard the lyrics. And he just explained to me what the lyrics mean. Because what do you mean? How do you buy your life, Dido? How are you? Who are you renting it to? Who's the landlord? Is it God? Because as we know from Pink and Faithless, who you don't forget you worked with, God is a DJ, not a landlord. Although, of course, I guess you can be both. Anyway, I don't know what life for rent means, who she's renting it from, and how one would go about buying one's life. Luckily, there was an essay on the blog called untemplator.com that explains, while we don't literally buy or rent out our lives, 
Oh good, I'm glad they clarified that. We are ultimately responsible for the actions we choose to or not to take. Do you feel like you are just going through the motions day after day with no sense of purpose? No, I do a podcast. Uh. That is one way to interpret renting your life. In order to become a buyer, you need to untemplate your mind, get over your fears, give yourself a fighting chance and go against the grain. Now I feel sorry that I read that out then because now she said untemplate your mind. That sounds both culty and qanon in a way I don't like. You know, I thought it was just untemplate your mind, you know, like Tony Braxton's Unbreak My Heart. But actually what I think they mean is like, don't trust the mainstream media and don't get vaccinated. So ignore we ever reference that, even though that is the best description I could find of what the song Life for Rent means. And certainly Life for Rent was enough to make Dido's Life for Rent album the biggest selling album of 2003 with sales of 2.1 million, more than doubling the sales of the second highest album of 2003, Justin Timberlake's Justified. In case you're wondering, the whole top 10 best selling albums of 2003, at 10, In Time, The Best of R.E.M., which we owned as a family. Number nine, Busted by Busted, which I didn't own, much to my annoyance. Number eight, Number Ones by Michael Jackson. We pirated it as a moral stance. Obviously, if any police are listening, we didn't do that. Seven, A Rush of Blood to the Head by Coldplay. Weirdly, my mum bought the first one, but not the second one. I think she was like, oh, this one's a bit too indie for my liking, which is bizarre. Number six, Permission to Land by The Darkness. My dad bought that because metal. Number five, Come Away With Me by Nora Jones. My mum isn't a anthropomorphized latte, so she didn't buy that one. Number four, Gotta Get Through This, but that was by Daniel Benfield. Number three, Stripped by Christian Aguilera. Number two, Justified by Justin Timberlake. And number one, Life for Rent. One last thing to mention about Dido is that... As well as this Life for Rent may be entering the chart this week, but also White Flag by Dido drops out of it like a stone. Last week it was at number 34, and now it is not even in the top 100, which suggests one of two things. Either there was literally no one left in the UK to buy a copy of White Flag by Dido, possible, but I think the second reason is because, and we haven't actually seen this yet, but it is a thing that pop stars do. It's kind of cool to have an example of it. They have basically done what they call cancelled the copy of White Flag, basically meaning that record stores wouldn't stock it anymore, just allowing Life for Rent to have a bit of a chance at being bought. Didn't want the other Dido song to cannibalise its sales. Just a little interesting chart quirk. We are going to end the segment by hearing her sing her song, Christmas Day. And the last words I heard him say Where I shall return for you, my love on Christmas Day. A soon-to-be festive favourite of yours, I'm sure. But the hits keep coming. We have another new entry at number seven. Welcome back to the top ten. Simply read with You Make Me Feel Brand New. Can't when I needed a friend Believed in me brand new giving simply red their 10th and at time of recording final uk top 40 hit i say that like simply red are suddenly gonna have a resurgence although with tiktok anything goes and their 26th top 40 single they've got to number one once when their song fairground got to number one in september 1995 so you would think this was cause for celebration at the simply red camp their second top 10 single of 2003 
They got to number seven again with their song Sunrise in March. But unfortunately, Mick Hucknall could not resist putting his foot in his ginger mouth. And I call it ginger for a reason because he said the following. If you replace the word ginger with black, then people would see how offensive it is. Anytime you see a derogatory remark about ginger hair, I'd ask the reader to replace ginger with black or the P word, the short version of Pakistani, and see how it sounds. Then they'd see how evil it is. I don't mind myself. Fuck all of you for saying bad things about redheads. Which enemy brilliantly attributed to Mick Hucknall, ginger cunt. Enemy. Much missed the funny side of enemy. He would continue going along this theme for many more times. I think because people knew that they could get him riled up that they would try and do it at every interview. In 2009, he said, when it comes to name-calling for being ginger or for the way you talk, then that's simple bullying. It worries me to think how seven-year-olds running around a playground could get bullied just for the colour of their hair. It's like racism. Not the same, but the principle is similar. At this point, it's good to see that he's learned that maybe racism to ginger people may not be as bad as to black people. Because the thing is, Mick, there's no systemic oppression of ginger people, is there? He also endeared himself to this interviewer by adding the truth is if you're successful you've sold a lot of albums and slept with a lot of women all the rest of it is just pure envy and of course Mick Hucknall has slept with beautiful women this article highlights that he dated both Catherine Zeta-Jones and Martin McCutcheon and that last one is not to be sniffed at because that meant that he for at least for the time that he dated her definitely had a fridge full of yogurt and that's not I repeat not a euphemism but let's talk about the song you make me feel brand new It is a cover of the 1974 single by the Philadelphia soul group The Stylistics, written by a man called Tom Bell, who weirdly has had two songs in the top 10 in 2003 that he wrote because he also was one of the writers of the song Are You Ready For Love by Elton John, which of course got to number one earlier in the year. The song is a classic that's been recorded by a lot of people, among them Anna Fried from ABBA, who sang a Swedish cover of it as a duet with a Swedish singer called Bjorn Skiffs, not Bjorn from ABBA. Other people who've recorded it are Roberta Flack, Mary J. Blige, and Boys to Men. Also, apparently, a version of it was used to advertise a stain-removing power, which makes sense. You know, you make me feel brand new. Do you get it? Like a carpet. And does the carpet match the drapes? Mick Hucknall doing everything full circle there. Yes, it does. I'm saying he has ginger pubes, keeping the tone of this podcast respectful and clean as ever. So that is three new singles in a row, but there are still two more to come. Two new entries from Gareth Gates and the Black Eyed Peas, as well as returning songs from Girls Aloud, Shane Ritchie and Westlife. Two of those are here at number six and number five. Let's hear them. Six, Jump by Girls Aloud. That's in its third week down from four. And at three, a former number one. It's down from three this week in its third week, Mandy by Westlife. Mandy, by the way, I said before that it's a cover of Barry Manilow's song Mandy. But in fact, Barry Manilow's Mandy is actually a cover of a song called Brandy. Of course, written about the vocal Bible herself. By the way, did I, is it common knowledge that the R&B singer Brandy's nickname is the vocal Bible? If it's not, now you know. No, it is, of course, not written about her. Yeah, originally a song from 1971 called Brandy. 
which then, for some reason, Barry Manilow changed to Mandy, even though that's a worse name, making it sound like one of the best love songs ever written about a dinner lady. For a long time, it was speculated that the song was called Brandy after the original singer Scott English's pet dog, but he says that it actually was down to a rude joke that he'd heard while in France, which says, Brandy goes down fine after dinner, doesn't she? Lovely bit of 70s misogynist humour there. Apparently... When Barry Manilow got round to recording it, he changed the lyrics to Mandy because there had been another song called Brandy that had been at number one in the US in 1972. So to avoid confusion, they changed it, which actually has happened since. I don't know if a lot of people don't know this, but in originally the Radiohead album Amnesiac was going to be called Cheeky Song, Touch My Bum. But then obviously the cheeky girls got there first. So Radiohead, can't believe I'm laughing at my own stupid joke there. So then Radiohead had to change it to Amnesiac. And of course, the cheeky girls were going to release a song called OK Computer. But then they had to change the name of it to... Uh... <laughs> so stupid. Hooray, hooray, it's a cheeky holiday. <laughs> oh dear, true sign of madness, laughing at your own fucking awful joke, isn't it? So let's move on to number four the second of our two remaining new entries say it ain't so by gareth gates And there's certainly plenty of reason that Gareth Gates may be saying to himself, say it ain't so. His first song, Unchained Melody, sold 850,000 copies in its first week, making it one of the highest selling number one singles of 2002. And now he can't even beat the second week of Alfie Moon and is stuck here at number four in what is, I'm sorry to say for Gareth Gates, his final top 10 single. I may have used this quote before, but it really bears repeating if we're not going to be able to talk about Gareth Gates again until 2007. This is from the 80s singer and club icon Marilyn. She told Enemy, Gareth Gates looks like he needs his kneecaps worn as earrings for a couple of hours. I'd like to fuck the shit out of him and then say, get your bullshit ass out of my house. But I can't walk. I don't give a monkey's call an ambulance. Beautiful. I'm going to get that tapestried onto my wall. Gareth Gates giving much more boring quotes. In an interview with Enemy, he said, I can put my hand on my heart and say drugs will never be a problem for me. I'm just not that kind of person. So it definitely would be fun to hang around with Gareth Gates and Enrique Iglesias, wouldn't it? They would spend so long on their hair and have so little to offer the party. Of course, Gareth Gates' star had been seriously dimmed in 2003 after he denied sleeping with Katie Price before having to eventually admit that he did. This led to Top of the Pops doing their True or False feature with Gareth Gates in which they asked him about a series of rumours and got him to say whether they were true or whether they were false. It's quite funny because obviously we know why they wanted to do a True or False feature with Gareth Gates after he had lied about quite a serious thing in his life. But you can also tell that the PR is like, if you even mention the words Katie, Price or Jordan, you will never feature another pop idol in your pages ever again. And so when everyone is talking about whether a rumour about Gareth Gates is true or false, they have chosen the most inane rumours they can, all of which Gareth Gates says are false. They ask him, do you secretly resent Will Young for pipping you to the post in Pop Idol? Well, one reason he should resent him is 
they released Gareth Gates's single a week after Will Young's to try and give him a chance at being ahead of Will Young this week, and it failed because Will Young is still ahead of him. But he says, uh, false, I don't resent him at all. I've got nothing against Will. I never wish I'd won. It's good the way it is, absolutely. I think Will and I will always be friends. I haven't seen him for a while, though. The last time was probably about two months ago. They also asked him, did Jeremy Edwards, of course, the Holby City actor who was dating Rachel Stevens at the time, once tell you to back off from Rachel Stevens? Gareth Gates said, false, I don't think he said that. Interesting. He says he doesn't think he said that, which means that they may have had a terse conversation about Rachel Stevens. But he says, I wouldn't fight him anyway. I wouldn't fight over anyone. I mean, have you seen Jeremy Edwards' arms? Good luck, Gaff Gates. Anyway, I am so over Rachel now. She is rank. Now, I'm just joking. She's pretty, but I've just outgrown her. Apparently, it was well known at the time that Gaff Gates was a little bit obsessed with Rachel Stevens, which is why he appears in the S Club film Seeing Double as her sort of love interest. This is a story from the Irish Examiner, which, with the caption, Gav Gates grows out of S-Club crush. Gav Gates says he's grown out of his crush on S-Club's Rachel Stevens. The singer previously admitted to being besotted with her, but he admits he still has a soft spot for the newly unattached Britney Spears. Gav Gates told Top of the Pops magazine, I have to say I'm over Rachel now, I've moved on. Not in a nasty way, it's just that it was a crush when I was younger. I don't have a crush on anyone at the moment, I just want to focus on my career, really, although Britney is an exception. He then says, I want a bird who's really classy. She has to be able to look good in jeans or a dress. Oh yes, all those classy girls who look really good in jeans. So I'll leave Gareth Gates. He's done with Rachel Stevens crushing and the British record buying public seems to be mostly done with him. But let's leave him where he maybe always wants to be, duetting with Rachel Stevens on Pop Idol. Here they are singing the song, You Are Everything. I thought it was you. been everything but they weren't enough to get that number one spot and neither was Shane Ritchie he was at number two last week with his comic relief single and wham cover I'm your man and now he is at number three Just leaves two songs fighting it out for the top spot. Will it be the Black Eyed Peas with Shut Up or Will Young with Leave Right Now for the second week? I can reveal. Last time, of course, the Black Eyed Peas released a song, got to number one, spent four weeks there and went on to become the biggest selling song of 2003 and Shut Up has not followed it. It is at number two, which means for the second week, Will Young with Leave Right Now is at number one. I love you, boo. I love you too. I miss you a lot. I miss you even more. That's why I flew you out when we was on tour. But then something got out of hand. You start yelling when I would break plans. Even though I had legitimate reasons. You know I have to make them dividends. How could you trust a private eyes, girl? That's why you don't believe my lies and quit the set. Shut up, just shut up, shut up. Shut up, just shut up, shut up. We try to take it slow, but we're still so let's talk about Shut Up by the Black Eyed Peas. And my husband has asked me to share this Fergie moment with you. Usually he totally ignores all of my creative endeavours, which is the secret to a good marriage, by the way, just having no interest 
in each other's endeavours. But this time he said, you have to mention this. Then he showed me a video of Fergie singing the song Live or Let Die while being winched around in the air. Now you will only be able to obviously hear her singing, but just imagine she's doing this while being flung in the air on a rope. And it really does add something to it. Fergie, of course, was originally only hired to sing on the Black Eyed Peas song Shut Up, but they liked her performance so much that they ended up asking her to be their permanent female vocalist. And you can see why, because this song really does have an excellent sense of drama between Fergie and Will I Am. Of course, this also had a similar amount of drama when we would recreate in the playground any time that we wanted anyone to shut up. But certainly, there were 12 European countries that didn't want this song to shut up, and neither did Australia and New Zealand. In all of those places, this song got to number one. Those European countries, Austria, Belgium, Czech Republic, France, Germany, Hungary, Ireland, Italy, Norway, Poland, Romania, Sweden, and Switzerland. But only getting to number two here will go on to be the 20th biggest selling song of 2003. In between Be Faithful by Fatman Scoop and Crooklyn Clan and Girls Aloud's Sound of the Underground. Apparently they were working on the beat of the song, but the band's girlfriends kept ringing them. And so they said they decided to turn that negative into a positive, write a song about wanting women to shut up, which is a lovely message from a band whose last song was about how there isn't enough love in the world. These men were just rung by their girlfriends who were just trying to, you know, see how they were getting on with their days, get a little bit of love from them. And they were like, oh, I really want to write a song called Shut Up. Seems that alternative titles include Will This Bitch Stop Calling Me? And God, I Need to Break Up With This Hoe. She has no idea that I don't want to hear her voice. No, they weren't real versions. I just made those up. But they feel believable, don't they? By the way, keep an eye out in the video for Shut Up because apparently two of the Pussycat Dolls are among the women in Fergie's posse. Black Eyed Peas, of course, not making it to number one here, but they have shockingly had five number ones. Of course, Where Is The Love, their first, then Boom Boom Pow, I Got A Feeling, Meet Me Halfway, and perhaps the worst song ever released by anybody, The, the Time Bracket Dirty Bit. Apparently at this point, Will I Am had known Fergie. He had met her two years previously on a radio show, and when he was thinking that he wanted a female singer in the video for this kind of mock opera style video that they have for Shut Up, he thought of her again. However, there was one person who definitely wanted the Black Eyed Peas to shut up with this song, and that was the funk legend George Clinton, who in 2010 sued the band, saying that the group used a sample of one of his songs without permission. Apparently this was on a remix of the song Shut Up. Apparently a producer had asked if they could use the sample way back in 1999 and he had rejected it. And then in 2010 he uh, sought damages of £150,000. This lawsuit would rage on until 2012 when the Associated Press reported that George Clinton and the Black Eyed Peas settled the lawsuit. Although exactly how much they settled it for has not been revealed, but certainly the fact that this song was a number one hit in 14 countries meant that the Black Eyed Peas were hardly bankrupt by George Clinton getting the money for his sample. But certainly not getting as much money from the record-buying public this week as Will Young. Although apparently Will Young, the one of the reasons why Leaf Right Now got to number one was because he was selling singles at $1.99 rather than the usual $3.99. So actually maybe he was making a little bit less money than the Black Eyed Peas, but it has been enough to get him a, another week at number one. Selling a very respectable 83,000 copies in his second week. So even in second week, doing better than most songs have on this year's charts, it's still a higher number than anything since the second week of Where Is The Love by the Black Eyed Peas in September, which sold 90,000 copies. Congratulations to Will Young for a second week at the top of the UK charts 
Will he make it a third? Well, there are some huge songs coming next week and there is a big battle between Christina Aguilera and Kelly Osbourne. Yes, that's right, a real chart battle. Over the last few months, we have featured a few choice quotes that Christina and Kelly Osbourne have have said about each other. They clearly did not like each other. There was no love lost. So it's going to be a fiery chart battle. But who will win it? We'll have to find out next week. But for now, I will say to please, five-star reviews, positive recommendations to all your friends, to any pop maniacs out there. Really helps to share the show wider, which is obviously amazing. Follow us on Twitter at 2000schartshow, on Instagram at the2000schartshow, email us at the2000schartshow at gmail.com and enjoy for the second week, Leave Right Now by Will Young. And I'm going to, ha ha ha, leave right now.